Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, the sixth chapter, verses 27 through 38. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks, and don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You will be acting the way children of the Most High act, for he is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good portion, packed down, firmly shaken, and overflowing, will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. The word of God for the people of God. A number of years back, when Richard Petty was still racing stock cars, he ended a 45-race losing streak and picked up stock racing's biggest purse, at the time $73,500. It happened at the Daytona 500. Petty's win, however, was a complete surprise. Going into the last lap, he was running 30 seconds behind the two leaders. All at once, the car in second place tried to pass the number one man on the final stretch. This caused the first car to drift inside and force the challenger onto the infield grass and slightly out of control. What happened next was incredible. The offended driver pulled his car back onto the track, caught up with the leader, and forced him into the outside wall. Both vehicles came to a screeching halt. The two drivers jumped out and quickly got into an old-fashioned slugging match. In the meantime, third place Richard Petty <coughs> cruised in for the win. Anger can do funny things to us sometimes. And it's easy in our dog-eat-dog society to forget about what we've been taught by Jesus. We're not supposed to go after the person who hurts us. We're not supposed to seek revenge on other people. We're not even supposed to ignore them. You know, that, that's what I was taught when I was young. Because I was, I was one of those kids, I was a good student, terrible athletic, so I, I got bullied a good bit. And, and my parents would say, just ignore them. Just, just ignore them. We're not even supposed to ignore the people that we have a hard time with. We're called to love. 
We're called to go beyond merely tolerating other people. We're called to go beyond our desire for revenge and to make sure that they, that they get theirs. We're called to love. And we're called to love by the one person who is in a position to be able to tell us to love our enemies. Because that's what Jesus did. If you go back and you read what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed, in John's Gospel, John tells us about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. All twelve disciples. Everybody's in the room to get their feet washed. The master, the teacher, is never supposed to be the one washing feet. <clears throat> washing feet was relegated to the lowest of the low servants or slaves of the household. Because it was a dirty, nasty job. Nobody wants to do that. But Jesus did it willingly. He washed the feet of 11 disciples who didn't understand what was going on, and one disciple who was actively against him. And Jesus knew what Judas was up to. Jesus knew when he washed Judas's feet that Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus understood what that betrayal was going to mean. And he washed Judas's feet. He showed love to the very person who was going to get him nailed to a cross. And so when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he's not talking as someone who, who doesn't know or doesn't understand or hasn't had to do it themselves. He tells us, you know, don't, don't, come to, don't come to God talking about what a great person you are when you only love those people who love you back. That's the easy stuff. Yeah, everybody likes somebody who likes them. What's hard is to love the people who are opposing you, who are making life difficult for you, who don't understand, who are doing their best to thwart what you're trying to do. Joseph had every reason to hate his brothers. Remember that Joseph's brothers hated him because Joseph was the favorite son of his father Jacob. He was the firstborn son of, jo of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And Jacob showered Joseph with love and gifts, gives him this beautiful coat of many colors that we've heard about, and part of the point of the coat of many colors is not only is it an expensive garment, it's also completely impractical for doing any sort of physical labor. So it was clear that Joseph wasn't going to have to go tend sheep. He wasn't going to have to do work. He was the golden boy. And he knew it. And he was an arrogant little booger. And his brothers hated him. They hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. And they didn't know really what was going to happen to him, and frankly, they didn't care. They just got rid of him. Told their dad he'd been eaten by wild animals. They thought they were shed of him. Years and years pass. There's a huge famine in the land. 
And Egypt, thanks to Joseph's leadership, is the only one that has grain. So the brothers come to Egypt. And they don't realize that they're asking baby brother to bail them out. They're just coming to get food. But Joseph sees the brothers, and he knows. He knows who's in front of him. And he's got a decision to make. Does he pay them back for what they did to him and refuse to give them food and let them starve to death like they deserve? Or does he show love? Now, Joseph has a little fun with them. He, he, he puts them through some hoops. But in the end, we have the scripture that we read this morning where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and says, look, it's okay. Yeah, you did a terrible, horrible, awful thing to me, but because you did that terrible, horrible, awful thing to me, I'm in the right place in the right time, at the right, in the right place at the right time to save your lives. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for what you had done to me. Joseph has a choice to make. And he chooses love. He chooses to love his brothers. He sends his brothers back. He's reunited with his father. He gets to see his father again before his father dies. And he moves them to choice land, the land of Goshen, which is a good place in Egypt for crops and, and for sheep and, and flocks to gather and to survive. Joseph had to make a decision, and he chose to love the ones who had hurt him. Shortly after the battles ended in the American Revolution, but before the peace had been negotiated, George Washington was with his troops in Newburgh, New York. The troops began to get really restless because they hadn't been paid. Washington had begged the Continental Congress to do what they said they would do and pay the soldiers, but they refused. So some of the officers began to organize a rebellion. They talked about marching on Philadelphia, which at that time was the seat of government, and overthrowing that government and letting the army rule the nation. With the fate of America in the balance, George Washington made a surprise appearance before the officers. He praised them for their service and thanked them for their sacrifice. And then he pulled from his pocket a copy of a speech that he wished to read to them. But then he fumbled with the paper and finally reached for a set of reading glasses. Glasses that those men had never seen him wear. Washington made this simple statement. I've already gone, grown gray in the service of my country and now I am going blind. Historian Richard Norton Smith wrote, instantly rebellion melted into tears. It was a galvanizing moment and the rebellion was put down because they had seen before them someone who was willing to go the second mile. It's written that becoming a Christian is one thing, being a Christian is another one. Washington could have railed against those men. He could have had them arrested. He could have hated them for rebelling against him and against this brand new nation that they were trying to, to, to build. And instead, he showed them, I've sacrificed with you. I've given everything I've got for y'all. He loved them. 
Loving our enemies is one of the hardest things that we're called to do as Christians. <clears throat> you know, it, it goes against our grain. We're, we're taught from the, the time that we're young about fair play. You follow the rules. You do what's right. You, you're kind to other people. And when people are unkind to us, it can be really difficult to love those people anyway. And yet that's the kind of love that we are called to show. Christians ought to have the reputation of being the most kindest, most loving, most generous people in the world. Because such great love has been shown to us on the cross. But sometimes we forget, or we choose not to remember. And we engage in revenge. And we hate those who hate us, instead of returning love. And sometimes we are too quick to label someone as our enemy. And I think that's so true in society today that, that anybody who we have a disagreement with has suddenly become our enemy. <clears throat> there is no agree to disagree. There is no, I disagree with you, but I love you anyway. We assume that because somebody has a different thought than ours, that that makes them our enemy. I want to close this morning with a quote from Thomas Merton. He says, do not be too quick to assume that your enemy is a savage just because he is your enemy. Perhaps he is your enemy because he thinks you are a savage. Or perhaps he is afraid of you because he feels you are afraid of him. And perhaps if he believed you were capable of loving him, he would no longer be your enemy. Do not be too quick to assume that your enemy is an enemy of God just because he is your enemy. Perhaps he is your enemy precisely because he can find nothing in you that gives glory to God. Perhaps he fears you because he can find nothing in you of God's love and God's kindness and God's patience and mercy and understanding of the weakness of men. Do not be too quick to condemn the man who no longer believes in God. For it is perhaps your own coldness and avarice and mediocrity and materialism and sensuality and selfishness that have killed his faith. Who we label an enemy sometimes says more about us than it does our enemy. We're called to love. We are called to love by one who has shown us great love. None of us, not the best among us, is good enough to have earned God's love. And yet God loves us anyway. God could have taken the whole of us and dumped us away, as he did with Noah and the flood. He said, forget it, I'm starting over, these people are no good. I give up, I quit. But he didn't. He sent his son who loved us, who still loves us, and died on a cross in our place. May we not be too quick to judge others, to call them our enemy. And even those who we call our enemy or who we feel are our enemy, may we have the courage to love 
those people as God has loved us. Amen. Amen.